we go. You're listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday, September the 20th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And what we're doing on Wednesdays right now is taking a look at Proverbs. We're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 25. And that is the beginning of something very interesting. Because last week, we took a look at the previous chapter, and it was additional wisdom from other people. So Solomon is looking out at the world, and he comes up with this wisdom and puts it in a biblical form by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, beginning with chapter 25, it begins with verse 1. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Now, scholars disagree as to exactly what that means. Either Solomon had specific Proverbs and the elders under the king Hezekiah had put these down in these verses. Or else the men of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, his elders and the king may have had these proverbs, and Solomon saw them as really important as the word of God. And so we're going to be taking a look at it, namely Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah copied. Verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. Now, see, this is why you need a pastor, a pastor who is somewhat knowledgeable about the original Hebrew, the culture of the day, and what is Solomon really saying here? It is the glory of God. Now, that means that this is part of God's attributes, that he conceals things or hide things. Now, what does that mean? It means that no human being, until they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, can ever figure out God's ways, his mind, his thinking, his will. They're hidden. In other words, In contrast to a king, when he searches things out, he investigates it, and people can follow what the king is saying. In other words, you might not know the heart of the king, but you will understand his investigation when he, for example, decides to have another law take place, well, 
what will happen is that that law will take place after he gives the evidence of its necessity. In contrast to kings, where you can see their investigation, the glory of God conceals things. Take a look at the disciples running around with Jesus for three years. Then he ends up on the cross, and what? They have no idea what is going on. I mean, they had the Old Testament, which gives them the understanding of his crucifixion and his resurrection, which he told men on the road to Emmaus. But they couldn't figure it out. The ways of God unsealed. So, for example, on Sunday, I'm getting over some surgery I had, and right now I'm kind of in a wheelchair. And a lady came to me and she said, well, when do you think you'll be getting out of the wheelchair? And I said, I don't know. That's up to God. And she said, doesn't God promise to heal us? And I explained to her that that was a promise I believed also, but the healing may not take place until judgment day when I go to heaven and my body is restored to my spirit and there will be no pain, no injury, no sickness. I'll be able to walk, etc. It may not occur here on earth. So God is concealing things. This is why there are two religions in the world. There's the natural religion, which man invents, but it's not anywhere near Christianity because that is a religion that has to be revealed, revealed by God himself. You, you can write a book about the many statements found in the Bible that seem to contradict not only Christianity, but even Lutheranism. But then upon further reading, you see, no, that is making sense through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 3 kind of continues, as the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. In, in other words, a lot of times a king may be making certain decisions and it's really unsearchable why he's doing it. Uh, for example, when John the Baptist was imprisoned by Herod and his wife's daughter did a beautiful dance, well, Herod said, I will fulfill any wish that you have. She goes to her mother and they wish for the head 
of John the Baptist. And the king is stuck. He has to give them the head of John the Baptist because he had promised that in front of all of his people. Verse 4. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Now, here Solomon understands how beautiful silver vessels are made. You get silver from mining, but it's filled with dross, D-R-O-S-S. That's an impurity. And, and so you need to make sure that the impurity is taken out of the silver before you use it as material for making a vessel. By the way, that kind of happened when Moses was on Mount Sinai for quite a period of time. And what did they do? The people brought all of their jewelry and they made a golden calf. And it had to be pure in order to be golden and standing up. Now, why does Solomon talk about this kind of a metaphor that you need to take away the impurity from the silver before you make a material vessel? Well, verse 5 explains it. Remember, Scripture interprets Scripture. So a lot of times when we read a passage and we say, why is the writer being used by the Holy Spirit to say that? He then explains it. And that's verse 5. He says, take away the wicked person from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Now, the word wicked is used in the book of Proverbs to refer to unbelievers. And so if a king has advisors who are unbelievers, well then his throne, his kingdom will not be established in righteousness. He may decide to do laws like we have in the United States right now. For example, the Supreme Court has declared that marriage between a man and a man is a marriage or between a woman and a woman. That, that's ridiculous. Now, we thank God that they've overturned the abortion that they said was okay to do and no longer is. But you can understand when a king or a leader has advisors who do not know the wisdom of God, then his throne will not be established 
in righteousness. Now, the Sunday school lesson that we went over yesterday for this coming Sunday is about David, Jonathan, and Saul. Saul hated David so much because he was seen to be a greater victor in battle than was King Saul, that twice Saul attempted to kill him. But Jonathan befriended him. So we still honor those in authority and respect their position, even when we disagree with what they are doing. And that's verse 6 of chapter 25. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. Now, what Solomon is saying by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for example, you think that you can go to Washington, D.C., go to the White House, knock on the door, and declare that you want to see the President of the United States, that's not going to happen. It's, it's better in verse 7 to explain this. Don't be standing in the place of the great. That means for reserved people who advise the President of the United States. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Now, see, that's really good advice. And that has a lot to say about law and gospel. Our king is God himself. Do not put yourself in his presence like the Pharisees did. Remember that one Pharisee? Thank God I'm not like that tax collector because I fast. I give a tithe. See, he was attempting to place himself in with the reserved people of God's holy kingdom by his works. No, it is better to be told, come up here. That's what the parable of the lost sheep is all about. God goes and finds the lost sheep, picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, and takes him home. Come up here. Now, verse 8. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. Now, this is talking about the fact that at the gate of the city, the elders would congregate, and they would be there to make judgments over certain cases that would be brought to them. But there were some people who would be in a hurry to go to court because they wanted to get even with what 
maybe a person has done to them, and they haven't really thought it through. Now, I've been involved in a number of court cases, but before I went to court, I made sure that I got the advice of a lawyer because the lawyer was able to tell me, no, don't go to court. Deal with it with the person himself. That's like in the church. When there are arguments over doctrine, you don't go to court to remove the pastor that you disagree with, but you begin to talk with him. And a lot of times discipline in the church, which can lead to excommunication, may take two or three years to complete the process rather than taking somebody to court. Now, why does God encourage us not to go to court? That's the rest of verse 8. For what will you do in the end, after the court case, when your neighbor puts you to shame? Now, that word, to shame, this is the only time in the whole Old Testament that it is used. And it means that you are humiliated. So you make a big deal in taking someone to court, but you don't have the evidence, and you lose the case, and you are humiliated. Instead, verse 9, argue your case with your neighbor himself, and do not reveal another secret. Now, why does God say that? Because in the argument, let's say there's a member of the congregation who really disagrees with the pastor because he will not commune anyone who comes to the Lord's Supper. But in our congregation, they need to be a member of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, having gone through confirmation. And so you begin to talk to that person who disagrees with your communion policy. And guess what? You get secrets from that person. But a pastor is not to go around and talk to the rest of the members about what this member said, but instead attempt to deal with him without bringing it before the elders and the church itself. This is where verse 10 explains why you need to argue your case with your neighbor yourself, lest he who hears you brings shame upon you and your ill repute has no end. Now, the word repute there means your reputation is ruined. There are people like that who always want to bring their arguments before others. 
but when they do so, they lose because they don't have the evidence and they don't have the right proceedings in mind. So what is the proper way to argue your case with your neighbor? We find that in verse 11. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Now that is talking about really precious jewelry that you have in a setting of silver, apples of gold. And that's because you spoke a word rightly. That means fitly. That's why Jesus was always in conversation with even those who did not believe in him. And many times his right words caused faith to come. In fact, verse 12 continues, like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. See, that's the purpose of preaching the law and teaching the law in a congregation. It's following John the baptizer, who had a baptism of repentance in preparation for Jesus coming with a baptism of forgiveness. And someone who is a reprover is an individual who is very wise and to a listening ear can correct their wrong teaching. It's like a gold ring. Now, this particular Hebrew for gold ring refers to a woman who gets engaged and Part of that engagement is she places a gold ring in her nose. Uh, today, we give someone who is engaged a ring on her finger. But in Jesus' day, it was a gold ring to her nose. And it indicated to others that she was betrothed and engaged. And a gold ring would be like a wise corrector to a listening ear. Now, verse 13, like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those who send him. He refreshes the soul of his masters. Now, at first reading, that doesn't make any sense because in Palestine at the time of harvest, that was pretty hot and humid weather. There was no possibility of cold. But when you take a look 
at the verse, the cold of snow in the time of harvest. So here you have people working really hard. They're sweating, they're hot. And a drink of snow would be a faithful messenger refreshing the soul of his masters. A faithful messenger means a believer who uses the wisdom of Jesus Christ to argue your case with your neighbor, to speak a right word, which is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, and would be like bringing a drink of cold snow to those who need to be refreshed. 14, the last verse we're looking at. Like clouds and wind without rain is like a man who boasts of a gift he does not give. Now, we drive through Illinois quite a bit, and we have seen field after field of corn and beans being grown. But you can often tell where there are fields that did not get enough rain. So the farmers eagerly saw clouds and wind coming, but it didn't rain. In fact, one church, its sign said, Jesus, please send rain. And within two weeks, rain had come. And the sign then said, thank you, Jesus, for the rain. Now, this refers to God. He boasts of a gift of the forgiveness of sins and heaven as your home. He is not like clouds and wind without rain, but he pours down his gifts and his benefits upon all his children who are believers in Jesus Christ. So some great advice from the men of Hezekiah that Solomon picked up and put in his biblical book of Proverbs chapter 25. I'm Tom Baker, and we'll continue looking at Law and Gospel on tomorrow's program. Until then, God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check out to Law and Gospel and mail to Law and Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.